Hi, everyone. This is the Bon Appetit Foodcast, and I'm Emil Stonic, standing in for Adam Rappaport, who is in Los Angeles this week. Uh, this week, I have a chat with associate editor Christina Che about soup. Soup can be like a little bit tricky to make at home. Often it doesn't turn out quite as rich and flavorful and dynamic as you want it to, especially if you're not working with homemade stock. So we're here to give you some tips and techniques and recipes that will help to convince you that you can indeed do it. Here we go. I brought my notes. I didn't. <laughs> I had a lot of thoughts. Okay. I know you sent that incredible email. Well, it's been I, I've <laughs> I've been planning for this moment my entire life. I've uh, a year at least I would say. <laughs> I've wanted to do this for a year, and there's no one I would rather do it with than you. Oh shucks! In preparation for this segment, I was going around soliciting some burning soup cues, <laughs> <laughs> some scalding soup cues, <laughs> and I got back some feedback from our some slurp back. <laughs> from our uh, fellow co-workers mm-hmm. Alex Beggs, senior staff writer Would like us to discuss the word chunky oh. Soup fatigue What even is a bisque <laughs> Sarah Jempel, contributing editor Wanted to talk about how to make vegetarian soup actually flavorful Uh-huh What soup is the most freezable Oh And Beggs also wanted to know what are some cheese-based soups I should know about Wow, this is a lot of that's a lot of questions from just two people. Yeah, I, I I feel like I could talk about this for a year. You might know the my that my original idea for this was let's just debate pureed versus chunky soups all, all right. day. But then I got kind of overwhelmed by the thought of saying chunky so many times. Uh-huh. I think it's just it's not the best. Well, yeah. What is what is a better way to describe? So, so basically, we we're talking about this dichotomy between pureed soups being like blended or otherwise smooth. The, yes, the you texture... can sieve them through your teeth. Right. Ew. <laughs> 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 One could do that. <laughs> not, not in polite company, um, but yeah, one one could sieve them through one's teeth versus a chunky, for lack of a better phraseology, a chunky soup, which is like different bits and bites of things suspended in kind of a a broth. Yeah. The poster child for chunky soup is like a minestrone, I would say. Right. So a minestrone. Iconic with chunky. Like, right. Chunks. You've got chunks of tomatoes. You've got diced vegetables. Maybe you have some like- Big bean boys. Big bean boys. Maybe you got some leaves in there. Maybe you got some kale or some shard. <laughs> that, would, that would be kale. Yeah. Kale. You know, so it's like each bite is kind of a little bit different. Right. Right. Which addresses the idea of soup fatigue, but we'll get to that. Right. Okay, so I feel like, anyway, that was the original idea was let's just debate pureed and chunky soups. Well, are we going to have that conversation? Yeah, I think it's a sub-conversation. But I do think the larger conversation is just helping people to understand what actually makes a good soup delicious. And that it is something that you can do at home you probably just need to know exactly how you should be spending your time. Well, which I think is, I think that's important because a lot of people think that a good soup is going to take a long time. Which some some certainly require that. But not all. Not all. A quick and delicious soup is possible. Do you have a favorite quick and delicious soup? A yum delish? Ooh, a quick yum delish. I mean... I have two. Uh, go, why don't you go? My first one is tomato soup. Mm. Canned tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Milk. 
Milk. <laughs> Milk. Milk. Salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some onions. Garlic, fennel, whatever, give or take. Yeah. And then you just quickly blend it. And that's like that's a soup you could do in that's a soup you could do in under thirty minutes. Totally. Well, I feel like this is this is a good jumping off point. The way you just said that is kind of as if you could dump all of those things into a pot, boil it, blend it, and then delicious soup. But that is I assume that is not what you're doing when you're making this tomato soup. It's true. You speak. It's true. So you're making a weeknight sort of soup situation. How are you starting? What's the first thing you're doing? For a quick soup, like I do what I would with anything that I'm making that is meant to be quick, which which is just to gather all my all my stuff mm-hmm. and get it in front of me. Okay. And then I just like to I just like to orient myself. You know, it's like I have my cutting board and I have the things that I want to cut up for the soup base. So that's like an onion, maybe a couple of cloves of garlic or some fennel. So I'm chopping those things first. And I'm trying to do that quickly because I know they're going to take the longest amount of time to saute first. Right. Like so it, you're... They're the first thing that go in the pot along with some oil or butter or whatever. And then you really want to spend some time making sure they get soft and tender and browned. Right. So you're, you're starting whatever soup you're making with some kind of like aromatic base. You know, if like the French tra- traditionally would use a mirepoix, which is just like celery, onions, carrots, right? Alex Beggs asked me how you pronounce bisque. I told her it was like risque. <laughs> <laughs> bisque. Yes, mirepoix. Frankly, like I know what it is. I know that it is that classic combo of the carrots and the celery and the onion. Right. I don't know what exactly about that trio makes it so like how they work in tandem to right. create a specific achieved flavor. I just know right. that they are delicious things to start right. with. Well, I feel like I feel like with those three things, you know, it's like you got the onions, which are kind of giving you that kind of sharp allium flavor, and then you've got the celery which kind of has that like fresh kind of like umami y sort of like weird celery thing going on. It's like very fragrant. I feel like it stimulates the appetite. Oh, that's that's me. Wetting. And then you've got carrots, which offers a little s- sweetness. Right, right. So there's a reason for like the mirror palm makes sense. Right. But I feel like to me the only non-negotiables are like onion and garlic. I agree. Like if you if you don't have those other things, all is not lost. But if you don't have onion or garlic, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, and I would say if you had to pare it down, like if I had to choose between onions and garlic, I would keep the onions mm, i would keep the garlic personally mm. well so okay so you've got you've got those you, your aromatics you know whether that's a traditional mirepoix or that's just onion and garlic or that's onion and fennel or maybe you maybe you're like a you know a pepper person and you like some you know a black pepper or a oh, i was thinking like a bell pepper or poblano pepper or something like that maybe in any case you're putting that in the pot and you're you're simmering that you're kind of sauteing that before you're adding anything else. What's going on? I mean, I feel like that that gets at the fundamental beautiful thing about soup, which is that it is seemingly homogenous thing that is made up of so many, you know, layers of flavor terrain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like everything, every, everything happens in stages, right? Right. You start with a thing that you're browning, whether that's your mirepoix or your onions or mm-hmm. whatever, and that forms like the base note of flavor that will permeate the entire pot right so those first things are going to be like the most 
like cooked out and the most kind of just like suffused into the soup as a whole. Whereas the things that you're adding later are going to taste a little bit more like it's going to be like if you put kale in at the end, when you bite the kale, you're going to taste kale versus, you know, the onion that you put in at the very beginning is just kind of kind of like almost like melt into the whole thing. Right. Oh, you know what a good way of thinking about it is, is you don't really want to taste any of the individual things that you're cooking down Mm, in the beginning. mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't want to be like, oh, I really taste that bit of celery. Like you never want to be able to taste the celery in a base of a soup. Right, 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 right. You want it to taste homogeneously rich and delicious and as a whole. Totally. It's the choir, not the soloist. (laughs) Exactly. So where where do you come down on, so, you know, if you've got your onion and your garlic or your onion and your garlic, your celery, your carrot, your fennel, whatever you've got as like that, the the base, are you more in the like, I'm going to cook this really low and like sweat it out so there's no color or are you like, uh, are you looking for a little bit of like color and caramelization? I'm not opposed to color fundamentally, but my problem is I I kind of have to go low and slow because I'm trying, the second those things are in the pot and they start cooking, I'm trying to do other things that are away from the pot. And Uh. then if I'm moving kind of slowly, if if I'm not paying exacting attention to what's going on on the stove, like it's just gonna burn. So like when in doubt, low and slow is like a pretty good place to start you want it to be hot when those things get in the pan get into the pot you want them to like sizzle a little bit but you don't want an aggressive like browning situation because it's kind of an insurance policy if it's low you're not going to burn anything you can go like do your other prep activities and not worry about it too much i think so how do you feel um i think it, it depends if i were to be making a pureed soup I think I normally am more inclined to go low and slow and no color just because like what you're, you know, in that case, like what you're doing is really just trying to like sweat out some of the water Mm -hmm. from those things and kind of concentrate their flavor. But you're not trying to like add flavor necessarily. You know what I mean? Whereas like sometimes if I'm making a little bit more of like a rustic chunky soup, I sometimes like to kind of hit them a little bit harder so I get some color around the edges of that onion. Because then I think it it like produces some of those kind of like browned complex flavors. And if I know that I'm going to be adding liquid, which Mm -hmm. will stop that cooking, Mm -hmm. like stop the kind of like browning and caramelizing, then I'm not like super worried about things going too far. Yeah. And I think also with a lot of pureed soups, they're often going to be, you know, any kind of root vegetable uh, soup, for example, like you want to taste the thing that is the star, right? If you're making a carrot soup, you want it to taste like carrots. And if you're making a squash soup, you want it to taste like squash. Right. I think sometimes I am all for caramelization and browning things, but sometimes you just don't want that to interfere right. with the flavor you're really seeking. Right. You actually want some of the, yeah, the, you want the, the like whatever you're going to be blending into the soup that is the star to really shine. Right. And that's why sometimes I just get annoyed when, you know, it's people will just be very um, dogmatic about, you know, must brown everything, must get it super brown before you add it to whatever right. thing you're making it into. And I just don't agree. Yeah. All the time. Totally. I will say also before we get to the next flavor layer, which uh, the next layer of our flavor mountain. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> base camp. Yeah, we're we're only at base camp. Yeah. Um, is at the end of your allium stage to throw in a couple of spices. Oh, um, to like toast them out in that heat. 
before adding whatever liquid you're proceeding with. Right. So if you're going to add some kind of layer, you know, if you're if you were say you wanted like your tomato soup and you wanted to add a little bit of coriander or something mm. to like spice things up, or a little like chili flake or something like that, fennel some fennel seeds. seed. So you want to do that at the beginning, not at the end. Why why are you adding that to the allium like mirepoix layer? Right. I think you want it so you want it to hit the heat. You want it to hit direct heat in the bottom of the pan just for a little bit because I think you want to bring out the essence of the spice. Like it really changes the flavor, it intensifies it. You don't want to do it I think at the same time that you're adding the raw onions and stuff because right. they they also tend to burn really easily. Gotcha. And I've so like ruined your... many a thing that way. <laughs> for actually, for a long time, I thought that garlic was supposed to go first. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. mm, not mm-hmm. good. Well, I mean, it's also like what you're talking about with the spices too. It's like you're you're also getting them in hot fat too, mm-hmm. which is helping to like bloom. And that's like the first step to a lot of kind of like South Asian curries and things like that. You've got like the hot oil you're putting in whole spices, and they're gonna kind of like pop and bloom. Right. And then that flavor goes into the oil. So again, it's not like what we were talking about earlier, it's not like, oh, I'm going to get a bite. And then it's like, oh, I got a bite of fennel seed. You want the like fennel seed to be kind of like that flavor to be in the oil. Then then becomes part of the liquid that all of the other chunky bits are suspended in. Exactly. Right. I would say in that case, too, you're probably blending all that stuff later. Like, I don't think I would want this is me personally. I don't want to add whole fennel seed or whole coriander seeds to a soup that's going to be chunky in the end. Gotcha. Like you, if I'm not blending it up. Right, 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 right. I just right, don't want right, to be right. crunching on mm-hmm, that stuff mid-bite. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like after base camp, it to me is like, well, the the like one kind of like the sub layer. So if you're going to add spices, I feel like that's also a time where I would want to add anything that was kind of like um, a pasty sort of flavor enhancer. Oh, yes. So like if I wanted to add in tomato paste, yes. which can kind of like have like a little bit of a raw flavor if you don't cook it out a little bit, you put in, uh, you know, that's when you're like tomato paste would go in or like miso. I put miso in a lot of soups that are not explicitly miso soup just because there is like that kind of like depth of flavor and that salt and that umami Mm. that then is kind of getting mixed with it you know it kind of looks like a beautiful slop at that point where you've got (laughs) like you're stirring the tomato paste (laughs) or the miso in with the onions and the garlic and the celery and it's kind of like deepening color and also maybe stick a little bit to the bottom of the pan that that to me feels like a a special little sub step is that what you guys do in the basically beef and bacon stew I believe so. Yeah, I think that's when the miso goes miso in. really makes that, yeah, like truly delicious. And then you know, like after that, that's when you're you're probably like if if you were gonna add some like wine or beer or something like that, just to kind of deglaze the pan. Mm-hmm. That's the time to do that. Right. That almost feels like that almost feels like its own thing. Right. Almost. And I think, yeah, deglazing has always kind of been. Uh, it, it's like the step I'm most likely to skip if I'm feeling lazy, TBH. Totally. Well, I think it's fine also because you're going to add liquid. At, the next step is adding liquid. Right. Like even if you're not even if you're not adding like wine and letting it simmer down or, you know, like reduce to cook off the alcohol, you're going to add broth or water. Right. Which then is going to get up all the little like bits that you brown bits if you got brown bits, if you want brown bits, you know. That is the next layer. Broth or water? Broth or water. The eternal debate. The eternal debate. I have a lot of thoughts about this. Christina, I want to hear all of your thoughts. Uh, <laughs> my my for- foremost thought is that 
faucet juice is not an acceptable term for water. Absolutely. No matter not. what Alex Delaney says and what you let him publish. What? Uh, <laughs> I let him publish that. You let him publish that. I forget. I think Look, you guys I'm just one man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys published an article that was debating this very question. Actually, mm, mm-hmm. broth or water? Right. So, and he it, he was making the case for FJ faucet juice, <laughs> aka water. <laughs> and although I think, okay, I feel like I should back up. I grew up with box stock and can stock like no problem i wasn't really as big into making soups back then mm-hmm. as i as i am now but i think slowly over the years i've become exactly the person that i never thought i would become who like which is the person who makes their own stocks oh wow like i i, I just that is a thing that i have uh, that i do now yeah and more often than not I will have multiple kinds around in the freezer. Wow. So you are like really living, you're living the dream. You're like a person who like spends a Sunday making some stocks and then, you know, you just have them like frozen in ice cube trays, like ready to like (laughs) go into, you know, your weeknight. I'm like, I know it sounds so extra on a lot of levels. You know, it's like you're making your own roasted chicken wing stock and then you're simmering it for three hours and then you're cooling it and you're straining it and you're discarding the solids I'm and you're pouring it into ice cubes hearing and, you talk about this and then you're taking it out of the trays and then you're you're bagging it up and putting it in the freezer but i don't care it is <laughs> it, it it's a lot of work i'm not going to lie but it um it, it's work that pays off in dividends like way down the line totally totally yeah i agree i i fundamentally agree with you like making Making stock, if you've got like the time and you really care and you're committed to the craft of the soup, then <laughs> then I feel like making stock is like totally right there, totally worth it. Like I would rather make stock than make plans. Well, it's nice when stock becomes the plan, you know, where you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing today, and then you like start making stock, and somebody's like, Hey, do you want to like go get lunch? Then I can't. Sorry, stock. <laughs> it's a really great busy. excuse. Really busy. <laughs> but okay, so so. Homemade stock being kind of like the the peak, the like aspirational goal, the like thing that we all would love to be a Christina Che with like, you know, just a freezer full of like dark chicken stock, light chicken stock, <laughs> beef broth, um, whatever. If that is not an option, wh- where are you going? What are you doing? Are you are you using box stock? Probably not. Okay. But that's mostly because I don't want to go out of my way to go and buy it. Sure. Yeah. If I have it in the house, then yes, probably. It really depends, though. I think that um, much like beans, for example, where Mm -hmm. you could, sure, like, am I above using canned beans? Never. Like, am I going, is it going to, am I going to expect it to to taste as good as home-cooked beans no, Never. and I'm probably going to find a way to zhuzh up the canned beans in some way to hide the fact that they're canned, you totally. know, or somehow dress them up to make them better. Right. And yeah. like with like with box stock, I think I I would not I would prefer to not use box stock if I were just to dump it in a pot, heat it up with some vegetables, and have that be like the broth base of a, a simple soup. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think for me, 
I used to use a lot of box stock, and then really Claire Saffitz was the one who she like went on a tear for a while while she was developing recipes for basically where she was like, I am never gonna call for box stock. It's gross. I don't like the way it tastes. Like if you wouldn't put it in a mug and microwave it and then take a sip of it, then why are you gonna put it in your soup and like expect it to taste good? And I'm like, that's genius. That, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And what I have found, I think, in so now I'm kind of like a I'm a, like a no box stock person most of the time. What do you guys have in your house? Does Lauren make stock? Uh, sometimes. Well, eh, we're not. We don't normally have like homemade stock around. We'll, we for a while we would have dashi, which is just like you know bonito flakes and kombu, and it takes like 20 minutes to make, and I would make like a gallon at a time and just freeze that in pints because it's so, it's so fast and so flavorful and it's like just so, so much better than you know, a kind of sludgy box stock. But honestly, like at this point, I just use water Mm -hmm. a lot of the times. And I think that the reason I, this is like a suspicion that I have about like, uh, like cooking in America, which is I think that people really like certain store-bought ingredients because they already have salt in them. And because people have a hard time putting actually the amount of salt that they need to put into a dish, especially a soup. They don't, they're not willing to put to watch themselves put as much salt into it as they need to in order for it to really taste delicious. Oh my god, Emil! And so, <laughs> and so then instead, you you put even like low sodium chicken stock, box chicken stock is really salty. Yeah. And so, I mean, the same goes for like why people like marinating steaks in like bottled Italian dressing or in like teriyaki sauce or like whatever, like things like that, because there's just so much salt in those already that like the end result is going to taste appealingly seasoned. Right. So like uh, to me, I think if you have, if you have a good base of aromatics and you have some delicious vegetables or meat or something like that, that's going to go into your soup. If you put water in it as your base with no stock Mm -hmm. and season it generously, you're going to get something that is actually is delicious and I think is is almost going to taste like cleaner mm-hmm. and like more um, of itself than it would if you were using box chicken stock. 100% agree. Um, I and was... I think that's also a reason, sorry, I'm just like on one right now, <laughs> but I think that's also the reason that people don't, like when they make homemade chicken or beef stock, they don't think it's good or like or worth it is because they're still, like, they make the chicken stock. They, like, spend all the time making it, right. put it into a soup, and then don't add enough salt. And then you're, they're like, why does this just taste like, this doesn't even taste as good as, like, <laughs> you know, a can of chicken noodle soup or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Because it's just under season. No salt, no flavor. Um, I agree. So you, So we've added either stock or water. Yes. Those are kind of the opposite. I do want to, yeah, wait, can I sidebar? Oh, yeah. I do think that a really smart thing to do if you are someone who is not really into the idea of making stock just to make stock Mm -hmm. is to make beans. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, And I know, I know you You support me on this one. You know how I feel about beans. Because it's just, you know, like the other day I was cooking chickpeas. Yep. I made, um, I used the recipe that I think Chris Morocco made for the feel good food plan mm-hmm. for healthyish this year. Super simple. You take a wide strip of lemon zest, some olive oil, you cook the chickpeas in the water, and then you season them at the end. And so then I like ate the chickpeas and then I was left with a quart of this delicious 
highly seasoned golden chickpea broth. Mm. And then I used that. Uh, I just used that the way that I would vegetable stock. And then I made like a squash soup later in the week. That didn't have chickpeas in it, but had the chickpea broth. In it, it just had the chickpea broth. Totally. But I mean, the broth was, I mean, oh, and there was some garlic in there too yeah. that I cooked with, with the chickpeas and an onion. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot a lot of things. Okay. So it was chickpeas, onion, garlic, lemon, and some olive oil and water. Lemon zest, not lemon juice. Lemon zest, right. And it was so good, totally. truly. Yeah, I mean, beans and lentils are kind of like my two favorite soup bases. I feel like, I mean, I'm like really inclined towards a chunky <laughs> soup that starts with water. And so Can like- call it I, something else? Peasy? Husky. Husky. <laughs> no, but like, you know, yeah, if you, even if you're starting from dried beans or like soaked beans or lentils or something like that, beans and lentils really like enrich the broth mm -hmm. or like the, you know, the liquid that they're cooking in. So if that is something that you're throwing into a soup and you are starting with just water and not like delicious homemade mama chaise, uh <laughs> homemade stock, then you are going to get a lot of flavor and a lot of body, you know? Because I feel like that is a thing that people complain about if they're just using water. It's like the soup's going to be kind of thin. So like beans, the bean cooking liquid, lentils, rice, mm -hmm. and different grains also are going to like let out some of their starch into that water. So that's going to like, we have a recipe for, um, I just went up on basically for um, a chicken and rice soup. And it's really quick. It's, you know, it's just like chicken thighs, you know, some aromatics. You put in chicken thighs, you put in water. That simmers. And as the the chicken's going to kind of give some chickeny flavor to the water. So it's kind of like a half stock. And then you've got like a handful of rice that goes in there. And the rice just kind of like bursts and kind mm -hmm. of thickens that, the soup. So that it, it has like the same amount of like body or like texture and like hardiness that you would get from something that had been simmering for hours and hours and hours and hours, but instead it's just kind of, it's a quickie. Right. Okay. Next level. Where are we? We have, okay, so we've put in the liquid. Okay, and then so we, we have our base. Simmering. We have our like. Yeah, we kind of skipped like the real, <laughs> like, like the meat of the matter. So like what else is going to go in with. What do you mean, meat? Like well, literal meat? I mean meat or veg or something like that, but. While you're putting, when you're putting in the liquid, you're also going to put something else that needs to cook. Right. Normally. Well, okay. So when you have a, when you have a PC soup or a chunky soup or whatever, are you cooking, are you cooking out the things you're adding? Like if you're adding, let's say chopped carrots or potatoes or something, are you cooking, are you sauteing those a bit before liquid goes in? It entirely or? depends. Because I don't know? do that. I, I add them all at the same time that the broth is going in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if I was going to make, like, a simple pureed soup, I would probably, well, I, I guess in either instance, if I if I was going to make a minestrone or whatever, and there were kind of vegetables that were not the aromatic soup base, but things that were just going to kind of be a, a part of that soup, mm -hmm. whether that's, like, a pureed butternut squash soup or, on one hand, or the kind of, like, minestrone-y, like, you know, crushed tomato right. like or you know whole peeled tomatoes that you crush by hand and like you know maybe a little so beans or whatever i'm not going to cook those i'm just going to put those into the liquid and let them simmer right okay actually here is where i feel like we come to a fork right mm -hmm. so uh, this is where i really think you can think about the same soup base we, we've done the same thing exact same thing all the way through up until this point where you're basically making a choice to make a pureed soup or a chunky soup okay and if you are making a pureed soup, this is the point where you can really just throw in your liquid, 
whatever vegetable your your whatever whatever vegetable soup you're making right like a bunch of squash or whatever and then you just let that all cook until the squash is totally soft mm-hmm. and then you blend it and then you're kind of done right and then with the chunky stuff though i feel like there are a couple of layers like of when you want to add certain things do you know what i mean you oh totally you, like you don't want to add the the kale at the same time that you add the potatoes well you the just raw you, potatoes or something. you're at a point where there's kind of there is a timeline whereas with the the pureed soup it's like there is the raw stage and then the cooked stage and then the pureed stage. Right. Whereas with the chunky soup you have, or the PC soup or the, te- the, the, the textured soup. No, that's not good. Well, the textured soup it. is just like a, someone didn't puree their soup. Yeah. Long all enough. right. All right. All right. <laughs> so that with that sort of soup, you have, you can add things in stages depending on how you'd like them to, to be cooked. Right. right. So what's your approach there? Again, I think it kind of depends on what you want the final texture to be. So, like, if I was making a minestrone, I would probably, like, you know, crush my peeled tomatoes, like, on the early side. Maybe I'd put my beans in, mm-hmm. you know, or my lentils or whatever. Yeah, cooked or raw lentils, which will kind of cook in that liquid. If I wanted to put, you know, some diced squash or something like that into it or a sweet potato or mm-hmm. something like that, something harder, I'd put that in towards the beginning. But then... As we progress, I might not want to put in chard at that beginning point because I'm worried it's going to like cook out and get kind of like a little bit slimy. <laughs> I was like, chard what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I might want to add my greens towards the end because I want I might want them to actually like have a little bit of crunch to them or a little bit of snap. Like it kind of just depends on what I want the texture to be. Is there a time where you want it, where you wouldn't want to add your greens right at the end? I feel like there are some instances where I want the greens to be really broken down mm-hmm. and like really silky. Sometimes I'll make like beans with collards and like a ham hock or something like that. Like oh, a little I, bit I've like e- you have made that. I've eaten that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have made that. Delicious. Um like a little like kind of hop and john sort of vibe. Yeah. And in that case, I actually kind of like it when you know, especially like a really tough collards or kind of like your you know, like standard issue, like curly kale or something like that. I kind of want that to, I, I like it when it's like, it can take it, you know, it can take that kind of cooking out. Yeah. But if I was going to add greens that were slightly more delicate, like spinach or chard or escarole or something like that, where I don't want it to totally oh, like mush out. Such a soup addition. Totally. I just want that to like get in there and then, you know, quickly like blanch and then I'm going to serve it pretty immediately yeah and maybe that's a good way of thinking about it too is like don't add the things um that you want kind of crisp tender until the very end treat it like blanching and i think that would apply to things like fresh peas Mm -hmm. snap peas asparagus really any any of the delicate spring vegetables right broccoli totally uh, Totally. like anything you don't really want to think about as like limp or mushy or just kind of sad and of course like you know their soup is eaten in two stages there's like the first bowl of soup that you eat <laughs> like or serve to people, which is like exactly how you want it to be. And then there's the reheated soup. Right. You know right, what I right. mean? So it's like there's that other you know, you have a lot of control on the first in the first iteration in terms of like how you want the that uh, like a bite of that soup to taste. Mm-hmm. Later on, less so. Unless you're like really doing like a restaurant y sort of thing where you're like keeping everything, you know, you're doing some kind of like 
deranged mathematics where oh, you're like, I wish. you've got like quart <laughs> containers of all the ingredients and then you're like going to work and like throwing them all together in a bowl and microwaving them together or something like that, you know? Yes. It's like, I love that. Yeah. Like, in, in my mind, I'm like, you just painted my dream. But also, speaking of additions and problematic reheats, mm. can we talk about pasta and noodles for a second? We can talk about it all day. I don't know when I learned this, but probably around the same time that I stopped to, stopped adding garlic at the beginning of whatever mm-hmm. I was cooking. Like at a certain point in my life, I was always, if I was having pasta or noodles in the soup that I was eating, I would always cook them in the soup. Which would kind of make a certain amount of sense. Right. right. you're I like, oh, it's, like, it's wet. Just, yeah. It's, it's wet in it's there. It's like wet boiling liquid. Like right. I, I have dried pasta and I'm going to, I'm just going to like cook it. And I don't think, I don't know what happened. I don't know when I realized that that was just like not an optimal thing to do. Well, why? Why not? Uh, <laughs> We're talking about pasta very specifically. Okay. Right yeah. yeah I, we can talk about pasta in this instance. So like two reasons. One is that it makes the, it makes your beautiful soup broth that you've worked so hard on at this point, just like kind of weird. All the starch from the pasta lets out and it becomes kind of murky. And like, you know how pasta water just like has a flavor to it. Yeah. It's not a bad flavor. It's not necessarily bad. It's not a bad flavor. Right. It's just not what I wanted. Right. And the, but the pasta is also just like keeps on absorbing liquid almost endlessly. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if you've ever, like if you've ever stored a quart of soup, like leftover soup that had noodles in it, and then you came back the next day and you opened the fridge and you were just like, where'd the soup go? Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's like been completely drank up. And then like what was started as like, you know, fregola now looks like a matzo ball. (laughs) It's like just absorbed all of the liquid and... Now you have like, I don't know, sludge. Yeah, it's really not ideal. So, so, okay. So in that situation, if you were making minestrone that had pasta in it, what would you do? You would cook that separately? I would 100% cook that separately. In a separate pot of boiling salted water. Separate pot of boiling salted water. And then if you were going to, so like say I'm over for dinner, you're making me minestrone. Would you put some of the, you know, say you had like boiled, you know, Ditalini or something, would you, you would put a spoonful of that into the bowl with the soup and then ladle the soup over it? Into the serving bowl. Yeah. 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 It depends. If I, if I think we're going to eat the entire pot of soup. Which we probably would. Which we probably would. I'll just put it in, in the big pot. Gotcha. Okay. I just don't want that, that pasta liquid to be mixing with the soup liquid. Right. But it's already been cooked. It's been cooked right. elsewhere. So like you you had it in the pot of boiling salted water and it's if whatever starch it kind of gave up. Right. Which is great for when you're making pasta and you want that starchy pasta water to finish a sauce, say, and emulsify it. Instead here, you kind of want to leave that starchy business behind. I and guess then you want to be able to. Yeah, I guess it's personal preference. I don't like a. We're not in the business of personal preference here. <laughs> we're, we're in the business of telling people what to do and how to live. Well, I don't like a chunky soup with a thick broth. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's too much for me. Ooh, see, I kinda, well, but I, I know what I know what you're saying. I I, I understand what you're tomato saying. Tomato thick, sure. <laughs> but <laughs> tomato thick. That's my DJ name. Tom- <laughs> Two C's. Two C's. Tomato thick. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's, it, I, I think that is I think that is just a personal thing for me. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that I think that makes a, a lot of sense, especially if you're kind of like, you know, meal prepping, kind of like a hearty soup and you want to have a little thing. pasta. Yeah, I love meal prepping. Um, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if I if I was making minestrone, I wanted to eat it all week. 
having the pasta separate, just like in a plastic bag or something, and then just throwing a few spoonfuls right. of the cooked pasta right in at the last moment after you've done reheating it. That way you kind of, ha- and it's also, I think that's a nice thing about a chunky soup is like, you know, you've given all the, like we were talking about earlier, all the ingredients have given some of their themness to the whole, but also are intact as their own kind of like, you know, flavor experience. Yeah, so you're getting, it's like you know, it's like, a movie. yeah, your soup's going to like, you know, the pasta's going to maybe add a tiny bit of like starchiness to the whole thing, but you don't want it to just like be like, well, there's pasta here, pasta there, pasta everywhere. You want to like bite into that noodle and be like, mm, I'm having a noodle experience right now. <laughs> yes, which helps with avoiding soup fatigue. Soup fatigue. So, okay, the soup okay. is done. The soup, what, whether you've gotten, whether you pureed your tomato soup or you've your got chunkster. your your chunkster husky boy minestrone, oh, no. <laughs> um, are you done? Is the soup just finished? Never. No, the soup is never finished. That was a dumb question. That was rhetorical, <laughs> but it was dumb, so it's not even rhetorical. Okay, do you have a do you have a go to go to finishers? I do have some go to finishers. I mean. Look, the like barest, like just like most simple is the like drizzle of olive oil mm-hmm. or the drizzle of sesame oil or like or the you know, pumpkin seed oil or some kind of like thing that's going to add a little bit of richness. It looks cute, you know. Can have a little bit of its own flavor. Have a little bit of its own flavor just because then now you've got this like beautiful thing that you've created and now you get to eat it and you get like, you know, maybe you get a spoonful that has some like really good grassy olive oil in it and just like a kind of cool fresh peppery contrast to everything mm-hmm. else so it's like a drizzle of oil is almost always there love herbs so love like herbs. fresh you know like a just a flurry of fresh herbs again depending on what you're you're making is like pretty much always welcome and i think for you know when you have a soup that is cooked you know having something that's raw as opposed fre- to like gazpacho no 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 i mean it's just it's a cook it's it's <laughs> cooks you know it's seen a lot of time on the heat oh by the way there's a lot of gazpacho hate upstairs oh yeah which i found out from my soup recon yeah that's a whole we're (laughs) gonna have a whole different conversation about that you know i think like anything like if if you don't want to do oil i think like a dollop of like yogurt or sour cream depending on or like what kind of soup you're working with Mm -hmm. yeah i think i think it comes down to some kind of fat mm-hmm. and also some kind of acid. Yep. Okay. Yep. Nothing has changed my soup flavor more than like th- when I learned that that was the thing you needed to add at the very end. And um, whether that's like a squeeze of lemon or a capful of sherry vinegar right. or um, rice vinegar or really anything in that family, it's like you want to do it at the end so that the flavor doesn't dissipate right. um, from the heat. And you don't really want it to taste acidic, and and and, and if if administered in small amounts, like right. it, it really just makes everything taste alive, right? And so much better in this way that you can't quite put your finger on. Yeah, it's always like when I'm seasoning a soup at the end. I mean, so this is like you're talking about the very end, gar- kind of garnish wise, right? You're like ready to serve. But even before that, just to to speak to the acid front, I feel like I'm always like 
you know, you're adding salt, you're like adding salt, you're stirring, you're tasting, you're adding salt, you're stirring, you're tasting. And sometimes when you're just like, oh, it's just on the edge, do I need a little more salt? Sometimes it's just like, oh no, you need a splash of vinegar or you need a squeeze of lemon or some acid, you know, something to brighten things up. Oh yes, yeah, sorry, bit. that was where I was talking about. Yeah. Not the garnish stage, but just finishing once you once your soup is off the heat. Right, right. It's oh, like so the last thing you do before it goes into the bowls that you're eating. It when out. I was talking about the like yogurt for you know, for right, the record, right, right. the olive you were oil, about the sesame oil, garnishes. the fat. Yeah, that's going to be like once it's in the bowl. Yeah. I also like, you know, so that's, and that's also when you would be adding your herbs or whatever. I love a cruncher. I love a cruncher. Uh, you know, I love a cruncher because I like to drown it in the bowl of soup and get it a little bit. Crispy gonsagi. <laughs> it's so good. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, I will have written that, my magnum opus on crispy gonsagi. Oh, you have colon, a week the greatest food texture that has ever textured but you know see but nachos, yeah so like see see tempura yeah see some big chunks ch- kind of chunky croutons that you put on top of a soup and then you kind of dunked down into the brothiness mm. oof that's so good <laughs> but also like something like fried garlic i love putting fried garlic or fried onions chili crisp on top. Mm, chili crisp so good yeah okay should we lightning round through our lightning round okay yes okay Smooth or chunky? Chunky. <laughs> Dashi or chicken stock? Chicken stock. Broccoli cheddar or French onion? French onion. Uh, Manhattan or New England style clam chowder? New England, hands down. Manhattan's disgusting. <laughs> bisque or borscht? borscht? Sub question, what even is bisque? Uh, 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 I, I don't know how a bisque is different from a chowder. I think it has lobster. Bisque always has lobster? <laughs> no, it definitely does not. <laughs> Minestrone or pasta fagioli? Pasta fagioli. Mm. That next one's confusing. I'm going to skip it. No, no, no. I like that one. Okay. Soups with pasta or noodle soups? Noodle soups. Okay. Every time. And noodle soups are noodle like- Noodle soups being like a long noodle in a soup. Like to a me, ramen. Like ramen or pho. You're eating it with a spoon in one hand and chopsticks in the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, soup dumplings or chicken and dumplings? <sighs> Gotta go soup dumplings. Wow. Meal. Do you want to come over for soup later? I sure do. I feel truly inspired. I actually think I'm going to break my plans tonight and go home and make soup. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll come over. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.